I do have one thing I want to say before I get started. There's no one in this room that knows one thing about me better than I do. And that is I know I cannot carry a tune in a bucket. Okay? So, Mel, I have no problem you asking Steve to sing, or asking Mark to sing, and not me. Now, if some folks say I can talk, I'll do that. But sing, uh-uh. I do know my limitations in that respect. You're not the first person to say that. But again, it has been uh, a pleasure to be here today, as it always is. I haven't seen the Johnsons and the Kimberlings since the conference in the Michigan, I'll say it. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say Michigan. Now, that Buckeye place, I'm not sure about them. <laughs> Look, there's a big, beautiful lake named Michigan. I cannot slight that. Can't do it. And the, well, the coldest place I've ever been in the, state of, in, the, in the United States was Toledo, Ohio. I think the 9th of December, 1977. It was cold. And I only remember that because I just come back from Germany and I was heading home. And uh, in fact, Ohio was a bad state for me, period. And in Youngstown, I punched a hole in my, my windshield washer bottle because had water and it froze. I tried to break the ice up, knocked a hole in the bottom of it, had to go to the Ford dealer, find another washer bottle and tools to replace it. Ohio was never a good state for me. <laughs> well, don't fault me because I have prejudices. But uh, it, it is good to be here, and uh, the comfort food was comforting. And I left the desserts alone on purpose, not because it didn't look good, because I'm trying to make it look less good on me. All right, if you would, open your Bibles this afternoon to the book of Luke, the eighth chapter. And I want to turn our attention to verses 22 through 25. And I think when you read them, you'll get where I'm going. But I'll say it right up front. The manner of man that we serve. The disciples of Christ, well, let me just read it. I'll, why me tell you? You can read it for yourself. Luke chapter 8. Again, we'll begin our reading at verse 22, and we'll read down through including verse 25. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went to a ship with the disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water. 
and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, we perish. Then he rose and rebuked the wind and the rage of the waters, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. Our Father, we are indeed thankful unto you for the blessing of the day, for the fellowship thus far, for the message of your word, drawing our attention to the necessity and the maintaining of the truth. Father, there is so much error and so much misconception and deception. Your people need to truly fasten their attention on the truth and sell it not. Help us this afternoon, Father, to consider things in your word. Consider, Father, what they mean to us. Even, Father, the means that we ask ourselves, am I truly in the faith? This is a question, Father, that I think oftentimes need to be asked. Am I really what I think I am? We pray, Father, you give the answer. The truth of that answer. If they are not in the faith, grant them the gift of faith. And if they are in the faith, give them the strength in the faith and in the truth. For Christ's sake. Amen. My topic this afternoon is the question or the statement that the disciples made. What manner of man is this? And this is a question that is asked by men that we might want to say should already know the answer. These are 11 men, well, 12 men, but 11 that were truly saved, that they should know what manner of man this is. And the answer lies to why they asked this question in the question itself. At this point in the life of these men with the Lord Jesus Christ, they saw him principally just as a man. Just as a good man, as a good teacher, as a loving man, but a man just the same. They weren't looking at him as he truly is. The scriptures are full of descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But I want to just look at a few through this message this afternoon. And the first one I want us to look at is in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. If we, if we want to determine what manner of man the Lord Jesus Christ was and is. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. For in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So that's the manner of man that he was. He was a man in whom all the fullness of deity dwelled. Comfortably. Completely. I keep sometimes wanting to say he was the God-man. And I looked and I couldn't find a scripture that said that. But he is the whole of the Godhead dwelled bodily. When you looked at him, when one saw him, they saw deity. They saw God. They saw all righteousness. All power, all glory, all authority. It was all wrapped up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23 gives us a little amplification, you might say, on that position. He is Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted is God with us. A further description of this man that these individuals were concerned about. Number one, his conception was not like any other. His mother was a virgin until after he was born. And his name, or you should be called God with us. When people looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm convinced, and that was from the, the moment he came from the womb, they were looking into the face of God with us. I believe it was Simeon. Then the Lord was, after the Lord was born, and they brought him to have the things that were done to a male child after eight days. Simeon looked at him. And he basically said, I can go to sleep now because I've seen the Lord. 
I've seen my salvation. I've seen the fulfillment of the prophecies that God has set forth. I'm looking in the face of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us another picture, another representation of what manner of man this is. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, you will notice in verse 16. Now why am I in 2 Thessalonians? Here we go. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now all of this had not yet been accomplished on the day of this boat ride across the, the lake, but it's nonetheless true. God was manifest in the flesh. To be manifest means to be seen, to be shown. God was manifest in the flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, this is still a great mystery. The great mystery of godliness. That God never left his throne. And yet. Was here on this earth. For 30 some years. He was visible. And he was seen. This is a great mystery. And I will tell you now, I do not fully comprehend or understand all that goes into this. I believe it was the Brother Mark or it might have been Mel, that there are just some things out there that we just can't handle yet. You just can't wrap your hands around all of it. I believe we'll spend eternity growing in our understanding of the Godhead. And I'm not sure eternity is going to be long enough. I want to consider a conversation that the Lord Jesus Christ had with one of his, one of his disciples in John chapter 14. One of the disciples, namely Philip, was a little perplexed about some things. There were some things he wasn't quite getting. 
So in John chapter 14, let's begin our reading in verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And I saith thou then, Show us the Father. Believe not that I am that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. And the word that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Either seeing me as seeing the Father. Philip, you should have understood this by now. But you know, I'm not going to come down hard on Philip. I'm not going to come out hard on the other disciples in the boat. Because I've been saved since 1974. And there are things still about Christ that I don't fully comprehend. But they, Philip, all the disciples, Thomas, and myself, come up very often, very short, on faith. The incident that we're referring to this afternoon appears in the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, and the book of Luke. Each one of them gives us a little bit different take on the incident. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26, you read in part, O ye of little faith. Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, in part says, How is it that ye have no faith? And that word no is that absolute negative. The Lord has basically told them, you don't have any faith at all. How is this the case? You know, folks, we just don't realize how short we are. We don't realize how damaged we are in sin. We truly do not realize that we just don't get it. Our text Luke chapter 8 
verse 25. The Lord says, where is your faith? Where'd you put it? Where are you hiding it? Why are you not using it? We all have this problem. Our faith is quite often very small. These men in that ship, or in that boat, whatever you want to call it, they saw themselves, as Luke says they were, in jeopardy. They were in danger. They were in a ship, in the middle of a storm, and they did not know what to do. And I can sympathize with them. There was one weekend I went up to Mark Twain Lake. It was on a Friday evening. And I had some friends with me. Young children. My youngest son. And we wanted to go over to the other side of the lake just for a bike ride, a boat ride. There's a marina back in a little cove at Mark Twain Lake. And in the evening, deer come down to drink. And I love to go back there just before it gets dark and watch the deer. But we, ha we got over there and they started heading back. And a storm rolled in. And I'm on the opposite side of the lake. I made sure everyone on the boat had flotation devices, life jackets, whatever you want to call them, to make sure there's a problem, at least they didn't drown. But I was scared. I tried to look brave for everyone that was on the boat, but I was scared severely. Because there's thunder and lightning in the middle of a lake. I'm afraid it's going to get shot. It's going to get struck by lightning. But I can appreciate the fear of these men in that storm. I was afraid. I can't imagine how fearful they were. I get that fear. But the most telling fear, I think, in this portion of Scripture is expressed in Luke 8 and verse 25. And he said unto them, Where's your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. And the reason I say this is the most telling is the storm is over. They woke the Lord up. He rebuked the wind. He rebuked the sea. Or rebuked the waters. And there was a calm. Look at verse 24. Then he arose 
rebuked the wind and the rage of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. There was a calm after the storm. But yet it says again in verse 25, They, being afraid, wondered. It couldn't have been the storm they were afraid of. It appears to me that they were afraid of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were afraid of who has this kind of power? Who can tell a raging storm, cease, and it stops? Do you know anybody that can do that today? Any one of you here that can say, I know someone that can just say, be still. And it's still. I don't know that person. So thus they asked, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the wind and the water, and they obey him. Who's messaging now with this power? Up to this point, there wasn't one. They didn't understand the power of the man that they had been spending every day with since he called them to be his disciples. I get them to say we're rather dull with it. We just don't get it. You know, that's why when Mark was talking this morning about the benefits of coming to church. Come a firm believer, if you don't use it, you lose it. If you do not come to church regularly and sit under the teaching of a sound called man of God you are going to be spiritually and biblically deficient you need it it's a growing process now I'm going to say this about those men they're with the Lord about three and a half years they learned a lot in three and a half years I don't know if after my 30, 40 some years of preaching that I'd ever come close to what they were. I don't know about all of them, but I know I couldn't touch John. Couldn't touch Peter, I guarantee you. But folks, we need church. We need the assembly. We need to come together to be taught, to be uplifted, to be edified, to be encouraged, to be rebuked. Whatever it is needful. We need to get fed. I can sympathize with Mark going to a church and sitting down and then wishing, okay, can I get out of here? He didn't say that. If he didn't feel that way, I'm questioning him because I've been there before. Can I get out of here? No, this is kind of not on the same um, the topic, but. I preached a funeral for one of my nephews a few years ago. And 
I'm a believer in a funeral is not for the person who's dead. I don't know why they call it a eulogy. Why we want to talk about good about somebody that's dead? You either like them in their life or you don't or you didn't. So what can I say to make them look better to you? So to me, the funeral is to talk to the people that are alive to remind them that's going to be you one day. In fact, when I preached my mother's funeral, I was accused later on by some of the family of throwing her under the bus. Because I said, I'm not worried about her now. I can't change anything about her now. Where she is, she's going to be. I'm worried about you. I was accused of throwing them under the bus. But at, the nephew, at my nephew's funeral, after I finished preaching, the pastor got up, and I thank him for allowing me to get in his pulpit and preach my nephew's funeral. And he said, I understand what the brother was saying. But you know, my Bible tells me to prepare to live. I want to get up and walk out. I mean, that been, wouldn't be very tactful because I had to commit the body at the cemetery. But how do you tell a group of people that you're entrusted with prepare to live? It is a point that the man wants to die and after that the judgment. That's where the truth has got to be taught. We must prepare people to die. Because once you're dead there is no do-overs. The truth is very important. I'm afraid there's a lot of men out there that don't quite share that sentiment. They want to teach what's convenient, what the people want to hear, what keeps them employed, which gets them what they want. But folks, we need to grow in Christ. I'm sure these men never ask this question again after this day. But again, they did not realize the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has power over nature itself. Job speaks somewhat of this in the 38th chapter of the book of Job. And I'm tempted to do like Mark and read all of it, but I'm not going to. But Job chapter 38, I want to read the first 11 verses. And see if you see the Lord Jesus Christ here. And this particular incident. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now Job had some questions for God. And Job expressed those questions throughout his discourse with his friends. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I would demand of thee an answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof? If thou knowest, 
or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the, fount are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea with the doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the clouds, the garment thereof, thick darkness, the swaddling band of it, and break up for and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors. And said, Hitherto shall thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud ways be stayed. The rest of the, chap the chapters keeps building on God's creative powers and the control that he exerts over his creation. John tells us there was not anything made that was made that Christ didn't make. Christ created all of this. He has the power over nature. That's what he could do what Peter couldn't do. Christ walked out to them on the on the in the on the water. They thought it was a spirit that was another time they were afraid. But then they recognized who it was. And Peter said, Lord, bid me to come to you. And I'll come. The Lord said, come. Peter stepped out in the water. I guess he took a few steps or walked a little ways. He took his eyes off of Jesus. He looked at the water and he began to sink. And the Lord reached down and grabbed him and helped him. Not only can he walk on the water, but he has the authority and the power to bid us to walk on the water if he chooses let us do it. The Lord Jesus Christ has some power. Both dunamis, dynamite, and exousia. Authority. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, it says exactly that. Let's look at Matthew 28 and verse 18. A verse that I would venture to say every single person in this room except for the baby should be able to quote. But so I don't embarrass myself, I'm going to read it. And Jesus came and spake unto them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That is all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I have the authority to say, to speak, to do whatever I good and well please. But that's always going to be in keeping with the will of the Father. But the Lord Jesus Christ has some clout. He has some authority. 
Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. And there I'd like you to notice verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 22. In fact, I'm a, this, this we got to read it at verse 20. Nope, 19. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a, was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. And that was not water baptism. That was not saved or stayed through the water. The life figure thereunto, even baptism, doth also now save us. And I don't know why people have missed this parenthetical statement in this verse. People just look over it. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. That's a testimony of a man or a woman with a good conscience towards God in Christ. I'm saved. I'm united with Christ. And I'm making that exhibition in this baptism. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who is God into heaven. And is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers be made subject unto him. The Lord Jesus, folks, has some power. He has the power. He has the authority. He can forgive sin. Matthew chapter 9, and notice if you would, verse in fact, again, I'm, you know, I, I call myself one of the Let's don't go too long in reading, but the context just doesn't work to step into one verse. Verse 4 to begin with. And Jesus, knowing their thought, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your heart? For whether it's easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. When it was all said and done, he told them both, Get up and walk, your sins are forgiven. The Lord Jesus Christ can do what no one else has ever done, ever will do. Forgive sin. Anyone that thinks a priest, a preacher, anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ can take away sin, is going to wake up in death, greatly delusioned, in hell. Because they did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else can take away sin. 
when John said, Behold, the Lamb of God would take away the sin of the world, John knew what he was talking about. He was speaking the truth. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. The Lord Jesus Christ has power over the kings of the earth. Proverbs 21 and verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of waters. He turneth it whether soever he will. Now let's take that statement for a minute. We're talking about fear. And I'm afraid right now in this country there's more fear over political figures and powers. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? The election's coming up. We've got to vote for this person. We've got to vote for that person. Folks, I'm all for voting. But who sets up kings? Who sets up governors? Who sets up mayors? We vote. But God sets them up. We need to take our eyes off of the people and place them on God. And if the person gets an offer that you don't like, that you didn't vote for, just understand something. That was not the person God wanted in that position at that time. But there's a reason why that other person is there. And guess what? The heart of the king is in the Lord's hand. He moves that individual whichever way he wants them to go. There's a lot I don't understand. But I do know this. Whatever's happening, the Lord is in it. His will is being done. What he wants to accomplish is going to get done. So let's not be so afraid of who's getting in office. Know who you're going to vote for. Be clear in your mind who you're going to vote for. And then accept God's will when the person that you don't want gets into office. There's a lot of more examples of the power that the Lord Jesus Christ has. But I'm going to say this. We can and we must learn to trust the Lord Jesus Christ without fear. Look at Luke chapter 12, if you would. Luke 12, verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God? 
but even the very, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. I wish I feared less about so many things. I'm telling you, don't fear. Well, believe me, folks, when I was going finished up this outline last night, I was wrestling with that very fact. Because I know there are some fears that I have. There are some situations that I avoid because I'm afraid of the outcome. But who do I serve? Who is my Savior? Who is it that I am trusting to take care of me for eternity who is it that I am depending upon to have redeemed me forgive me all of my sins and is going to give me a life joy pleasure and love in the presence of the very creator of the world who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Do things happen to us that hurt? Yeah. Do we have ups and downs? Yeah. Do we create bad situations for ourselves? Yeah, we do. But even them, the Lord's in them. The Lord's with us. He never leaves us alone. So in conclusion, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 10. And I want us to read verses 25 through 30. John 25, John chapter 10, verse 25 through 30. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is a negative. You do not believe me. You do not know me. Because you're not of my sheep. Now the positive. And I give unto them eternal life. And they should never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. This is his sheep. The sheep that he knows. The sheep that hear him. The sheep that follow him. No one can pluck them out of my hand. My Father which, have, which, which gave them me is greater than all. 
and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Now to wrap this all up, I and my father are one. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we do not need to be as fearful as we are. Originally, my topic for this morning's or this Sunday's message was going to be if God be for us, who can be against us? But I can't add that to the closing. If the Lord Jesus Christ is with us, not only who, but what can be against us? Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ. There's nothing going to come between you and God, you and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Now do not get out there on Interstate 64 and play hopscotch and say God's going to protect me. If you do that, that's your problem. Foolishness is not God's responsibility. That's ours. But if we live our life soberly, vigilantly, attempting to serve, honor, and obey God, we have nothing to fear. Nothing. 